Well, as we continue our series on Paul's letter to the Philippians, we come to a critical point for us and for the original readers, those living in the Roman-occupied Philippi. The point is, how can joy flow directly through the same vein as suffering? Paul is writing this letter from prison, and I don't think he has a lot of joyful opportunities in jail. And the Philippians, too, have experienced suffering and anxiety and deprivation because roughly a hundred years before this letter was written, Philippi was the site of the final battle of the Roman Civil War. Subsequently, the town was colonized by Rome and the fertile land was taken from the Greek speakers and given to the Roman veterans. But Paul's letter does more than create a bond of mutual suffering. The real point is to share the joy and confidence of unity in Christ while maintaining that awareness of their situation, the understanding of pain that they are enduring. I recently read a blog, a story on a blog called Judson's Legacy, written by the mom of Judson. And she writes about the death of her son saying, the morning after Judson died, I was lying in bed, hardly able to breathe. Tears clouded my eyes as I wondered how I would ever experience joy again. A few seconds later, our daughter, Jessie, just 14 months old, came racing into our room. She was completely oblivious to all that had transpired. She climbed up onto our bed laughing and giggling and rolling around with delight. She was pure joy. And in that moment, it became apparent that joy was and would continue to be present around me despite my pain. However, it took me much longer to fully understand the relationship between joy and pain within me. We live in a world that puts a lot of emphasis on being happy. Good fortune and pleasure are fundamental to our lives. They are what everyone seeks to achieve. We don't always understand sadness or grief or depression or mental illness. Oh, just go and eat some cake. You'll feel better after that, right? It'll get your mind off of things. Just do something that you enjoy. And we try to tell those who are suffering pain that oh, it's just it's gonna be all right you just need to decide to be happy again if you are in pain it means you're not happy and if happiness is the goal sometimes it seems futile doesn't it because happiness as defined by the world is dependent on life's circumstances Pain exists in opposition to happiness, and anything miserable is an adversary. We try to avoid or ignore anything ugly because that would detract from our goal of being happy, or at least the appearance of being happy. 
I mean, who really wants to admit they have an addiction or that they suffer from a mental illness or they are so sad they can't get out of bed or a number of painful situations? Meanwhile, we've fused happiness and joy, using them interchangeably as if they are completely synonymous. We don't like to suffer. We don't want to be in pain, and we believe that suffering and pain then competes with joy. How can a person be happy if they're miserable? Well, Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't confuse those things. Paul tells the Philippians that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith. Paul tells the community that even though he would much rather die and be in union with Christ and to be and have a reunion with those who have gone before him, he understands that it is necessary for him to remain and stand beside the people who are suffering. As William Barclay said in his commentary, they will have in Paul grounds to boast in Jesus Christ. That is to say, they will be able to look at him and see in him a shining example of how through Christ they can face the worst, standing tall and unafraid. In other words, they can be living in pain and suffering, but still know the joy of living in Christ. Paul goes on in verses 27 through 30 to flesh out this understanding of the joyful life. Some say that these verses are the thesis for all of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he gets edgy here. And I think we've watered down these words through the years so we don't get the edge at all. Paul says to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ standing firm in one spirit. What is edgy about this is that Paul uses this Greek word, politeistē, translated as live your life, but really it means in Greek, conduct your citizenship. Paul tells them that the most important citizenship is not to be a Roman citizen like the people of the day, but the most important citizenship is to be a citizen of heaven. Paul uses language like gospel of Christ or faith and salvation and grace. These words meant the world to those who were in the early church. They were game changers. They were words of power, words that can turn their whole world upside down. They were edgy. But some ask, what's so radical about grace and salvation? In our time, these terms have been so downgraded to a harmless religious sphere as to seem completely non-threatening to almost any system. 
This is a measure of how much we've lost from Paul's radical understanding of the requirements of our citizenship as the people in Christ. It is also why we've lost our understanding of joy and living in a joyful life. To live your life is to live in community with all of its responsibilities. Christianity is more than just a religion. Believing in Christ is a way of life. And God grants us all the faith to believe in Christ as a gift, not a work. As Paul puts it, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. This life isn't easy, but we know that we are in unity with Christ and with one another. We stand fast with one another. We are graced, empowered by God. We are asked to bring this grace and this joy into a world that is broken by divisions of all kinds. To live a joyful life doesn't mean there isn't suffering, but it means that together, standing firm in the one spirit, striving side by side in the one mind for the faith of the gospel, we become a supportive community whose high risk taking in Christ is powerful joy. There's a story about a third century man. Now third century, 200s, right? A third century man who was anticipating his death. So he wrote these last words to a friend, and he wrote this. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. A joyful life is not a fleeting happiness over life's circumstances. Genuine joy stems from a deep understanding that God is present with us, loves us, and graces us with power. Therefore, our experience of pain, and we know great pain, cannot thwart God's joy. God has designed joy and pain to beautifully coexist together within us, to unify us for the work of the gospel so that we all work together for this joy when our suffering is great. So let's not make that a secret. Let's not water down the power of God's grace and joy and instead live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.